0: Romans 16, 17 through 27. As I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, so does Lucius and Jason and Sisypitar, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you to the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Heracetus, city treasurer, and our brother Cortis greets you. Now to him who was able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has made known to all the nations according to the commands of the eternal God to bring about obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated.
1: You know, I think if we're going to clap for Todd, we've got to clap for Jeff. I mean, <laughs> nailed it, didn't he? I mean, just like he'd read him a thousand. Nice job, Jeff. Well done. We are finishing up the Book of Romans today, our final message in the Book of Romans, Romans 16. 17 to the end of the book at the end of the service we will pass out exams (laughs) and depending on your scores we'll determine if we just start back at the beginning and and do it all again i'm kidding there will be no exam here that'll be on judgment day leave that between you and jesus (laughs) it's not my job uh, one quick announcement, just to remind you, uh, we had announced several weeks ago that uh, our dear brother Jim Chambers had uh, passed away and gone home to be with the Lord, and we wanted to let you know his memorial service will be December fourth at one p.m. here at the FBC Worship Center. So that's uh, Jim Chambers. His memorial service will be uh, December fourth, one p.m. here at the worship in the worship center. So uh, we'd look forward to glorifying Jesus by remembering Jim and. Uh, supporting gail and their whole family during a time of loss romans 16 let me pray and then we'll get into it god we just ask you in this moment that your holy spirit would give us strength would give us illumination to understand and humility to repent we ask god by your grace you would use your word in uh, by the power of your spirit to make us more like jesus today in his name we pray amen the final appeal, two things we're gonna appeal to you in regard to here in Romans 16, 17 through 27. The final appeal, number one, is to you to watch out. Closing up the book of Romans, everything we've talked about, one more appeal to you to watch out, and then a final appeal to God to give us strength. So we're gonna look at these two appeals one to us as readers of the book of Romans to watch out, and then an appeal to God to give us strength. Verses 17 through 23, a final appeal to you to watch out. Some of you have children or have had children who are approaching driving age, the way it works here in the state of Oregon, my understanding is anyway. When you turn 15, you can take the written or computerized test to get your permit. And so uh, a 15-year-old can take the test and they can receive their permit. Now, how many of you think that a kid who has passed their permit test knows how to drive? Right, they don't. Yeah, they don't. Every parent maybe who has had a kid that has sat in the passenger seat, and in that moment they say to themselves, I really need to make sure things are right between me and the Lord. I need to, this is the time to make sure we're dialed in. And so parents know the whole. there's a whole lot more to driving than reading the Oregon manual and taking a test. And this is what we're understanding here at the end of the book of Romans. Maybe you've read the book of Romans. Maybe you've listened to one or two of messages on the book of Romans. Maybe you've read a commentary on the book of Romans. Congratulations, you don't know how to drive. And what, what Paul is going to charge us to do is watch out. Now that we understand the gospel according to God in Romans... As we head out into the world, we need to pay attention and watch out. There's more to it than merely stashing away information in our minds about the book of Romans. So, the main thing we want to think about as we watch out, heading out into the the highways of the world, so to speak, is to be in Christ, in the world, is to be in enemy territory. To be in Christ, in the world, is to be in enemy territory. The gospel is good news for us and for a fallen world, but the world is, in fact, fallen. And we have an enemy, and he is real. Satan opposes us, and the world system opposes us. So we need to watch out, and there's a couple of relatively specific things he calls us to watch out uh, for. So let's start in verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions And create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. So the first thing we need to watch out for is people who cause divisions. Divisions over what? We're not talking about divisions over main things. If somebody comes in and says, Jesus is not God, I will divide over that. If somebody comes in and says, Jesus is not risen from the dead, we will divide over that. What we don't want to divide over is secondary things. We don't want to divide over political views and economic views and how we educate our children kinds of views and whether or not you should yield right away uh, kinds of views. You're, you shouldn't. Use your right away. That's not a secondary issue for me. If you, now we're on it. If you're going to let somebody in, you have to get out of your car and ask every single person in the line if you can let them in, not just the person in the front. Okay, never mind strongly healed. I will divide over that. So we don't want to make secondary things, things we divide over. So look what he says. Watch out for people who divide, and uh, contrary to what you have been taught, avoid them. This is what's really important about dividers. They're not seeking mutual understanding. Dividers aren't seeking common ground. Dividers aren't seeking to be a part of the whole. Dividers are seeking to divide. The job with someone who is seeking to divide avoid. Well, that seems kind of harsh. If somebody wants to engage in gospel conversation and humility and repentance, that's different. But if somebody comes in and they're going to divide over secondary issues, the apostle Paul is very straightforward. Avoid them. It's, well, that sounds rude, but that's the, the way to do it. The obstacles we face, what are the kinds of things people divide over and say, well, good Christians don't do these kinds of things. Good Christians don't go to these forms of entertainment or to these restaurants or eat these kinds of food. Or good Christians must uh, always wear long pants. Uh, Good Christians must never own expensive vehicles. Good Christians must always be at the church five days a week. Whatever you may establish in your head is what good Christians do. These are divisive What we don't divide over is these things, we divide over who is Jesus. And he says people who divide are in fact to be avoided. We should pursue the gospel and priorities of who Christ is in us, and the holiness He is working out of us and secondary issues ought to be laid uh, to the side. Would you agree with me that we live in a culture today that divides? All right, we shouldn't. The one place where you come in and say we don't divide is in the body of Christ. If we're in Christ, and we all agree, the Bible says who Christ is and how we receive salvation, we should not be divided. And if you're coming into a place and feeling divided from your brothers and sisters, something has taken priority in your life that needs to be made secondary. And he's saying, uh, avoid these. Avoid these. We might remember back to Romans chapter 14 where he talked about the weaker and stronger brother and the the Apostle Paul reflected on the gospel and how it approached things that people ate and drank and days that were special to them. And these things were causing conflict within the body of Christ. There were Jewish believers who said, you you must eat only a a meal that is consistent with Jewish laws. And there were Gentile believers who said, well, I've never really done that, and I don't know that I have to. And there are certain people who would say, well, we need to celebrate certain important religious holidays. And others said, well, I don't think we need to do that. And it was causing division. And Paul is saying these things shouldn't cause division. And if somebody is going to divide over secondary issues... In fact, he said we ought to avoid them, and these are complicated things. These are things that have to be learned over the course of time. These aren't things that you just learn from reading the book of Romans because culture changes over time, and we need to learn to be those who seek unity in the gospel and not division on secondary issues. Look at verse 18. Why do people divide? It tells us, such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites and By smooth talk and and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. He's talking here about people we might label as or think of as legalists. Now, all of us are legalists to a a certain extent, but these are people intending, uh, based on a a system of religion, to earn favor with God to cause divisions in the body of Christ. And he describes what goes on in the heart of a person who wants to earn God's favor through uh, behavior. So I want to make real generic statements about legalists, and if you're a legalist, I'm sorry, I'm about to offend you, and all of us, I, I should say, all of us are legalistic in, in some ways or others, but, and so I want to say, I'm trying to make a point here, and, uh, and so I want to be, uh, I'm making some generalizations, so I'm a, I could get in trouble here, and now you're all excited, that's always fun, everybody loves watching a train wreck. Why are we legalistic? Why are, people, why, why are we saying, I want to earn God's favor through either good, doing good stuff or refraining from doing bad stuff? A couple of different ways we approach this in our hearts and minds. Number one, I'm legalistic because there's something in my past or in my present that, that brings great shame. There's something in my past or in my present that brings great shame, and so I feel this need to balance the scales of shame with some kind of good behavior through discipline. So I've done something in my past, or I'm currently doing something in my present that makes me feel ashamed, and so therefore I must always go to church so I can never miss church. I must memorize large sections of Scripture to try and balance the scales out, because I've got this great shame over here. I've got to balance that out with doing something good. And and I'm trying to address my shame with good behavior. And nothing is more frustrating for me in that situation than other people who don't feel compelled to do that same thing. So I read my Bible every day because I feel great shame over this terrible thing that I have done or am currently doing, and it drives me bonkers that you don't feel that same compulsion. So what must I do to make you feel like you must be disciplined as I am in a particular area? I need to give you the gift of shame. So that way, if you feel ashamed, like I feel ashamed, we'll both be motivated to read our Bible every day with such great joy. Doesn't this sound exciting? This is how it works. So another generalization about legalists, which might be all of us, maybe just a few of us. I'm trying to figure out who it is. I don't know if I should say I'll say it. My experience has been, that way it's plausible deniability. Because I haven't had all experiences, right? My experience is bad. The more legalistic somebody is, and of course I'm just talking about Seth. (laughs) I I still don't know if I'm, I'm just going to say, they're always hiding something. The more perfect somebody seems to be, the darker the closet. The, The uglier the monster. And, you know, as soon as I am wrong on that once, I'll change my mind. Okay, is this right? Have I offended you? I didn't mean to. Well, I did a little. So this is the other thing we do. We are so ashamed about this great secret, this great secret that nobody knows about. So I've got to dial it in over here in the areas that everybody knows about it. So I am a model churchman. I am a model parent. I am a model whatever it is for you. And over here, there is this darkness that if revealed, and here's the thing. That monster is going to get big enough to get out. It's just a matter of time. And that's what we do. So why do we cause division? Because there's this great ugly thing in my life I want nobody to know about. So this part of my life has to be perfect and by golly everybody else in my life had better be dialing it in too. And that's what that's what we do. We we pursue legalism and we pursue religious obligation because we've got this great thing. The last reason we do this, I don't know, we, we pursue religious obligation is this. There might be some things we really, really uh, enjoy or some things about us that we just can't uh, fix. And so therefore, we just want to, again, want to balance the scale. So maybe I have a really bad temper. And so therefore, as long as I am generous, I feel that those kind of balance each other out. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. Many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. We have to recognize that the book of Philippians, Paul is primarily addressing legalists who were trying to bind with shackles. The freedom of the Philippian believers. So what we have here is individuals who walk as enemies with the cross of Christ. Here's the two ways we walk as enemies with the cross of Christ when we pursue legalism. Number one, we think we can earn God's favor with good behavior. I don't care how good your good behavior is. It's lame. It's not that good. It's not even that good to the people around you, much less Jesus. Okay, so we need to remember none of us are impressed. Okay, secondly, your bad is much worse than what you're doing good to, to, to balance it out. So what we tend to do is overestimate the stuff we're doing good, that's really, really good, and underestimate the terribleness of the sin in our life. So we do 75 cents worth of good to pay for $1,000 worth of sin, and we think we're doing great. And that's what's going on here. He says, listen, they're enemies of the cross of Christ, number one, because you think you can earn God's favor through behavior, and secondly, because you think you can maintain this ugly secret in the dark and not be held accountable to it. Watch out. Legalism and and seeking to impress and earn God's favor and impress people around us will destroy our own spiritual life, and can even destroy the body of Christ. Just because somebody has a lot of religious rigidity in their life does not mean their God is not their belly. It just means they seek to weigh out their appetites through their religious uh, obligation. Verse 19. Let's keep going. I think I've offended everybody enough in that verse. See what we got in the next one. Your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. So what he's calling us to do as people understanding and trusting Jesus through the gospel is to seek obedience in the Lord through wisdom for joy. He says, look, your obedience is known to all and I rejoice over you. So we're seeking to obey God and glorify God, not to earn His favor, but as an act of worship that results in joy for us and the people around us. The reality is obedience requires wisdom and mindfulness of the way the world works. What this means, though, is we must be able to assess what is going on in the world around us. It doesn't require that we experience every bad thing in the world in order to be well uh, informed. Maybe we could say it this way, Christians should not be naive and shocked as to what's going on in the world around us. We shouldn't be naive. We shouldn't be surprised to hear some of the things that uh, we do or people in the church do or what happens in the world. Uh, Naivete in, in the body of Christ is actually dangerous. We need to be willing to understand by thoughtful engagement of what's going on in the world around us to assess, is this a way to glorify God in my life or is stepping away from that A good way to glorify God in my life. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. I'm sorry? See, we've read that. Maybe you've memorized. Have anybody memorized this verse? We memorize the verse and and don't pay attention to what he's actually saying. So, what I'm going to do is make you into a sheep. Okay, well, that sounds good. Then I'm going to send you out among wolves. Uh, my understanding, I'm not a botanist. It's <laughs> waiting. I'm just seeing if you're awake. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not one of those here, animal husbandry person. I don't think sheep survive long among wolves, at least not at dinnertime. And Jesus is saying that. I'm sending you a sheep among wolves. You need to be able to understand what wolves do. Be wise as serpent, innocent as doves. A smart sheep doesn't pretend he's not among wolves. A smart sheep understands, I'm among wolves. I'm I'm among wolves, I need to pay attention, I need to be looking, I need to be wise, but innocent as doves, it doesn't mean I become a wolf. The idea here is to be aware of what is going on in the world around us, and have the ability to know what it means to glorify God in our life, even in the midst of a world that has fallen and broken. A little bit of church history, very, very brief church history. One of the things that happened In the early 20th century among Christians is a notion of what we'd call fundamentalism through isolationism. Ooh, big words. Now we feel like we got our money's worth. So what we would do as Christians is to say, you know what we need to do? We need to recognize God is God, and the way to make sure we stay holy is to, to build a church, build a fence, put barbed wires on it, make sure we're always on property. What do we do? But our kids have to go to school. Let's build a school. Okay, now it got quiet. And let's make sure nobody ever has to engage with non-believers, because that's the way we keep from getting tainted. Couple of things with that perspective. Number one, the world can't taint Christians. Where do we get our righteousness from? Is it by avoiding naughty people? No, I'm going to get my righteousness from Jesus. And the world can't taint it. Do we recognize that? Or do we need to start Romans all over? If that's the case, why am I worried the world is going to taint me? Then what happens when we spend a couple of decades hiding out in our Christian bunkers? One or two of us wander out and we have no idea what we're getting into. We don't know what to watch out for because we become so Isolated. The idea here as Christians is not to hide in the corner until Jesus shows up. The idea here is to be wise enough to engage in the world around us in a way that's consistent with the good news of the gospel. And you can't do that by hiding in a corner. We can't do that by building a big wall around the building. We can't do that by making sure every single acquaintance and friend we have is a believer. We can't do that. We don't earn our righteousness by avoiding the world and we actually rob ourselves of the ability by engaging with the culture around us to, be, to gain wisdom. And, and we can do that without pursuing our appetites. And that's exactly what has happened over time. We, we lost our ability sometimes to understand, okay, this, what's going on here? What's going on here? And how can I approach it with wisdom? And we, we, we decided Jesus has sent us out among wolves, and so let's avoid the wolves. That's never what Jesus said to do. He said, Have wisdom. Be wise as serpents and gentle as, shoves, as doves. We should not be naive or shocked about what's going into the world. And it won't do us any good to hide from what is going on around us because it's our job to spread the good news of the gospel to the world that needs to hear it. And we're never going to be able to do that if we're hiding in our bunker. Verse 20 The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Genesis 3:15 says this, I will put enmity between you and he's talking to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and he you shall bruise his heel. So this victory has been predicted since the book of Genesis. Jesus would destroy the enemy. Jesus had complete and total victory over Satan on the cross. And being raised from the dead. That victory will be completed one day. Right now though, until that day comes, we live in enemy territory amongst a defeated enemy. We need to recognize that the enemy is defeated, but he is still seeking uh, to destroy us. So the tension we are going to live with as Christians in this world is we have won, but we're not home yet. So what's the call to do if we're wise? Keep our head on a swivel. Keep a weathered eye. Learn over the course of time to be a seasoned veteran of seeing what is coming down the road, of saying, okay, I see what division looks like. I see what pursuing my appetites look like. I see, oh, I see what's going on here. I'm, I'm starting to try to earn God's favor through good behavior. I need to learn what that's like, and, and I have to learn over the course of time. What does it mean to live like a seasoned veteran in enemy territory, until I get home. Just to give you an idea of what's coming, Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 7. This is just to make sure you don't get depressed. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, he'll come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. What's Gog and Magog? Washington and Idaho. I don't, I don't know what they are. No idea what they are. Could be Canada for all I know. I don't know. Okay, so he gathers them for battle, and their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And Jesus went, Oh no, your army's so big. He didn't do that. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. Very, very short battle. It's, a, it's fantastic. The devil who had deceived them was. Thrown into the lake of fire and surface, sulfur, excuse me, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan loses. That's what we've read. We already know how the book ends. Nobody already know how the story ends. So, do you think he knows how the story ends? Yes. So, how mad do you think he is about this situation? Really mad. His job is to take as many with him as he can. And we need to be aware of that. As we navigate through the course of our life, we need to keep our head on a swivel, keep a weathered eye, become seasoned at knowing what is going on in our life, in the life of the people around us, that we might be wise. Wisdom in the Christian life is gained over time in experience. You don't get it by just reading the book of Romans once. It's reading the Bible, praying and seeking the Lord, being in relationship with others, seeking people in your life who are older and wiser than you, and saying, have you been down this stretch of road before? Can you tell me what I ought to be looking for here? What should I be thinking about? How should I approach this situation? As a parent, as a, as a professional, as a business person, as a as a student. I'm not sure what to do here. I've never had to approach a Christian life in this particular context. Have you ever imagined saying... Well, I think I might be able to find somebody in a church with this many people in it that has been down this stretch of road before. You ever thought of doing that? Going, hey, have you been in college before and had to pursue the Lord? Have you ever been in business before and had to pursue the Lord? Have you ever uh, had a kid getting sideways on you and had to pursue the Lord? How did you do that? And, and they may have, actually have some insight of how the gospel might be applied to the situation you're going through right now. That requires some Humility. But that's where wisdom is gained. Then after you get some scars on your life, and you get some lessons in your life, and you've got some, some highway miles in your life, and you see somebody, it's not arrogant for you to go and say, you know, I see what, I've talked to you a little bit. I know what's going on in your life, and just so you know, I've been down that highway before. If you ever want to sit down and talk, I'd be happy to share with you some of my experiences. Is that arrogant? Now, of course, the other person, if they're arrogant, they're going to, oh, well, you don't know any better than me. Right? That happens. But that's the way we learn wisdom, is by walking real time with how does the gospel apply in the real life situations we're dealing with. And what Paul is calling us to do in Revelations, uh, Revelation, whichever R1 it is, Romans 16. Jeff should be reading this. He nailed it. So jealous, Jeff, today. He's calling us to watch out and to be wise and recognize how does the gospel apply in my life Uh, today. The victory is God's. The enemy will be defeated, but we're not home yet. The final appeal is watch out. Watch out. Times change. Cultures change. uh, Things going on in the world change. And as wise Christians, we need to be those who can look at what's going on in the world around us and have an understanding of how the gospel applies uh, today. Final appeal, watch out. As we would expect in a book themed in the gospel, the final appeal is to God and to His glory. So let's look at verses 25 through 27. If you don't mind, I'm skipping verses 22, 23, and 24. There are additional greetings, and you can read those. Verse 25, now to him who was able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the cre- preaching of Christ Jesus, according to the revelation and the mystery that was kept for long ages, but has now been disclosed through prophetic writings and has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen. Final appeal is to God to give us strength. How are we strong? We are strong when God is for us story is told about a guy working on an assembly line. He was a new guy. His job was to pull these steel rods off of the rack, and he was put them on the assembly line, and he attached something to them. There's the extent of the detail I'm going to give you. There was a rule with this particular position in the assembly line. It was called flip the tab after you pull it off. So you, you pull it off, and you flip the tab up, and it keeps the stock up here and not on your feet. Well, he decided he didn't need to flip the tab. And the reason is because he noticed when the tab was down, they don't fall down. Well, the problem was he was an idiot. (laughs) I I, I hope you don't take that personally if you're an idiot. I'm I'm not judging people. I'm, I'm just saying this guy in particular was a moron. He didn't understand. The tab had to be flipped, not generally, because every now and then, another guy had a job. He would show up every now and then and refill his stock of rods that he was pulling out of there. So the rods would stay there just fine until somebody came from behind and chucked a bunch of them on there. So he's working away, and everybody, all the old guys kept telling him, flip the tab, idiot. If you've ever worked on an assembly line, you realize I just edited that line. (laughs) And he said, extra steps are stupid steps. This brilliant genius is now some kind of process manager. And so He's not flipping the tab, and then all of a sudden it gets restocked, and now he's got all of his stock laying on the floor. The whole line has to be shut down to get everything restocked. Here's what he didn't understand. He was the new guy. He was the new guy, and he needed to pay attention to people who could help him. Here's what I want us to understand about our relationship with God. I don't care how long you've known the Lord. He has been working on your relationship with him longer. You will always be, in your relationship with God, the new guy. Because God has been working on and thinking about and planning for your relationship with Him since before the creation of the world. You may know a lot, and you may know a lot more now than you used to. God knows more than you. And we must recognize this final appeal is to God, but has to come from a place of humility, I have strength in the Lord, not because I am strong, but because He is strong. He is the one who is going to get us to the end. So since God has been carrying out His plan of salvation from the, the very beginning, in humility we must recognize He alone is strong. He alone is able to carry us to the very end for His glory to bring about our obedience. Verse 25, how to get strong in the Lord? through gospel proclamation applied to our heart. Now him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. Strength occurs through receive, excuse me, receiving the gospel in our hearts and being reminded of the good news of the gospel day in and day out. Hearing gospel preaching reading the Bible and seeing the gospel in our scripture reading, reminding ourselves of what Jesus has done for us throughout the day, and having friends and family around us on routine basis reminding us of what Jesus has done for us. This is where we gain strength. We need to be reminded of the gospel when arrogant, when we think we're awesome in Jesus. We need somebody to tell us, you are awesome because Jesus is awesome, not because you are. We also need to be reminded of the gospel when we've really blown it, when we've gone back to the well of sin that we know we shouldn't. We need somebody near us to say, No, you're good. Your righteousness is from Christ, not from your good behavior. We need to be told the gospel on a regular and routine basis. And as one author has said, the person who talks to you the most is you. So you ought to be telling yourself the gospel. When I blow it, I need to remind myself, no, Jesus still loves me. And when I think I am awesome in the Lord, I need to humbly remind myself, no, I am awesome because Jesus is awesome, not because of what I have done. This is counterintuitive. We think strength in the Lord comes from self-discipline. We think strength in the Lord comes from regular spiritual habits, But gospel strength says this, I believe what Jesus did, and because I trust him, it gives me joy, and since I enjoy the Lord, I want to worship him, and how do I worship him according to Romans 12, 1 and 2? By by having my life be an act of worship. So because I believe the gospel, I worship through disciplines. I don't read my Bible because it makes me strong. I trust God will make me strong and I will worship Him and read His Bible and He will use it. I will trust Him. My habits aren't what gives me strength. It is God who gives me strength. If my spiritual habits gave me strength, I wouldn't need Jesus. Because I know you're arguing with me. I know how you guys are. Say, no, no, no. If your spiritual habits could give you strength. You wouldn't need Jesus. If something, I don't, I don't want to think, get too depressing. It's Thanksgiving weekend. Well, some of you are, it's Thanksgiving weekend. It's depressing. If something were to happen and you weren't able to say, use your eyes, or have all of the mental capacity that you currently enjoy, or use your physical arms or your legs, What if God, by His grace, determined to, through intervention in your life, through something, made it so you no longer had the ability to do those things that currently you think you must do to have strength? Would He still be able to make you more like Jesus day in and day out? Yes. Yes. The reason we pursue God through spiritual habits and discipline is because we know He's going to do the work. Not because it does the work. It's an act of worship. And that's what Paul is saying here. Strengthen us according to the gospel. Hearing and being reminded that Jesus saves sinners. Hearing and being reminded that Jesus will finish the work in us. Being reminded that this mystery of the gospel has been going on since the beginning of time. This wasn't a new idea. That's how we get strong. Is by knowing the mystery that Jesus saves sinners Like us. The gospel of the ages, beginning in Genesis, that's what it says, verse 26. It has now been disclosed through prophetic writings and has been made known. The nations are hearing what has been known through the prophets that Jesus has died and raised again to provide salvation. Reminds me of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Do you remember Rich Man and Lazarus? They both die. Lazarus, the poor man, is in paradise. The rich man is in not paradise. And the rich man says, send Lazarus back to tell my brothers about what's going on down here so that they would believe. What was Jesus' response? If they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe if a dead man rises, which is interesting since a dead man did rise. And did they believe? No, they paid the soldiers off and said lie and say, we moved the body. So what we're saying is the gospel since the beginning uh, has been coming through the word of God. That's how we know what is going on. And then we might even say this. uh, Why doesn't God send an angel to fly through the sky and proclaim the gospel to the world so everybody would believe? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, it happens. Revelation 14. (laughs) Revelation 14. Verse 6, I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. So everybody stopped worshiping the beast and the Antichrist and worship Jesus. Right? Have you read how the book goes? It gets worse before it gets better. So an angel flying through the air, speaking in every possible language, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, and what do people say? No, thank you. So the issue here is, the gospel of the ages is going out to bring faith at God's commands. God is the, is the priority, is to communicate the gospel to the world around him. And the, and the point is the obedience of faith obeying God by trusting Jesus. And the whole idea here is God gains glory by proclaiming the gospel to the world where some believe. That's what the obedience of faith is towards the end of verse 20, 26 in Romans 16. It says uh, this, if we can be reminded, to bring about the obedience of faith. Trusting Jesus is obedient and it brings God Glory. And look, that's the whole point of the gospel, verse 27. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. How is God most glorified? People trusting Jesus. That's how he is most glorified. How is God most glorified in your Christian life? Trusting Jesus. That's how he's most glorified. He is glorified when we choose to say no to sin and to say yes to obedience. He is glorified in that. He is most glorified when we trust Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for us, and he rose from the grave, and we trust that God will move us along to greater and greater strength for his glory. Three things, and then we'll, we'll be done with the book of Romans. Say, so where are we going next? Well, we've got four weeks of Advent. Yay, Christmas. Then we'll be starting the book of Luke in January. Three things. You ready? Watch out. The thing that will trip you up is not the world. It's a warped version of the truth. All of us know what bad things are, and we try not to do them for the most part. I mean, you showed up at church on a Sunday morning. All of us know what the bad things are. You know, I ought not to do that, and I shouldn't do that, and I'm going to avoid this. The, the thing that is going to trip us up is a warped version of the truth, which is a couple of things we've already mentioned. I can keep this little pet sin over here as long as I balance it out with a couple of good things over here. That's a warped version of the truth which will trip you up. Another warped version of the truth we covered back in Roman, earlier in Romans is that since Jesus saved me by his grace, I can still do whatever I want. That's a warped version of the truth. Why would I want to get saved from sin in order to keep on sinning? It's a worked version of the truth. What we need to know, what we need to watch out for is what does it look like in the life God has given us to walk in the love of Jesus and the power of the gospel? What does it mean to say no to sin and to worship God through devotion and to enjoy God through his grace even in the world we live in today? All right, second thing is rest. This is coming from verse 25. The strength of your hope in the gospel is God Himself. God has been working on your Christian life way longer than you have. What you need today is more of God being awesome, not more of you being awesome. You're awesome. Isn't that awesome? Ask your wife. Right? What you need today is more of God being awesome. Well, how, how, is, how could God be awesome in my life? Well, try this. One or two of you really blew it this week. I mean, really blew it. Like, you didn't even, nobody knows. Well, I love it when it gets quiet like that. That means, <laughs> means it's not just me. How is God awesome? In Christ. God loves you with that really ugly situation. I mean, it, and you remember remember it? It was bad, wasn't it? He loved you as much before, while you were planning to do it, while it was going down, and after. And he's not impressed about how bad you felt or didn't feel. Jesus just loves you and says, my grace is sufficient for that. And some of you, that bothers you. No, I need to feel bad about it. How many of you, after whatever it is you did bad, uh, I don't know what it was. Maybe you were happy the Seahawks lost last week. Maybe that just thrilled you that they got shut out. It's wrong. (laughs) Maybe it bothers you. Maybe you think, no, I have to feel bad about it for a while. Have you ever thought about that? No, I have to sort of like beat myself up a little bit. i got to mope around. i got to make some promises. God, I promise. Uh... I'll be nice to that guy at work for a couple of days, right? So let's remember what Jesus said on the cross. I can't remember the line, but I think it goes something like this. It is finished. He doesn't need your help to pay for your sin. So don't. Just enjoy the fact that he's that awesome, that he is that awesome. That's one of the ways. How do I need God to be awesome in my life today? I need his grace to actually be as gracious as it actually is and I need to get out of the way and just enjoy it and see what that does to your devotion to the Lord Okay, the last thing is God's glory as it turns out your salvation is not about you I know this is going to come as a shock to you your salvation is not about you it is not about me your salvation in Christ is all about God's glory God is glorified to save sinners through His Son, Jesus. The gospel is for His glory. It is for our good. It does bring great good. gives us eternal life. But His salvation for us in Jesus is for His glory. You are for His glory. I want to say it one other way just to irritate you. If it did not bring God glory to save you, he wouldn't have. I could see you're arguing. Read Ephesians 1. That's what it says for almost an entire chapter. God is glory. So, so, how am I supposed to respond to that? Worship. I am thankful that the God who is, is glorified to save sinners like me. I am thankful that he is glorified to save sinners like me because that means his glory motivates saving me. If his glory motivates saving me, I don't have to be savable because he's not motivated to save me because I have good potential. He's not motivated to save me because I may pay off in the end. He's not motivated to save me because I'm a good guy. Why is he motivated to save me? It brings him glory. So that results in worship. That sounds like bad news. You say, well, that sounds selfish. If God only saves people to glorify Himself, He's God. It is to our greatest good delight and pleasure for God to be most glorified. We've been getting this wrong since since the Garden of Eden. Drove Adam and Eve nuts that they weren't being glorified. If we eat the apple, we will be like God. I think this has been a problem for a while. This is why it's irritating you that I said God wouldn't save you if it didn't bring Him glory. Why? Because you're Eve and you're Adam. I want to be God. I want Him to save me from my glory. I think the theological way of saying it, your glory is kind of lame. When God is glorified and we are in Him, it is the most pleasurable place for us to be. And the fact is that we don't believe that because we're broken. It turns out our, God, our salvation is for God's glory. Why in the world would I serve Christ? Why would I say no to sin? Why would I read my Bible? Because it brings God glory, and I am convinced by faith, not always by experience, when God is most glorified, we have the most delight and pleasure in Him. Final appeal, watch out, and God, by His grace, give us strength. Jesus, we come to you this morning, and we are grateful that you have saved sinners like us. God, we would confess in this moment our, well, our pride and our arrogance. We have, many of us, been Christians for a little while, and at a certain point we got fooled into thinking we bring something to the table. That you saved us because we have something to offer. God, would you restore to us the joy of our salvation, of being reminded again today the reason we are in Christ is because of it's your Uh, brings you the greatest glory. God, would you by your Spirit once again renew in us that devotion to you that comes from gratitude and worship, that we would seek you through holiness and devotion to your word and prayer, not to earn favor but because we already have it. God, I would pray especially in this moment for those who are here right now who have never received your forgiveness by faith. I would pray, God, that you would move in their heart by your Spirit to draw them to you for forgiveness. That in this moment, you would give them life. To reach out to you and say, God, I need to be forgiven. I trust Jesus. God, we pray that you would give us hearts of gratitude, especially this week as we're thinking of Thanksgiving. That we would see the work you have done in our life and how devoted you have been to making us like Jesus and express that through gratitude and worship. We give you all the glory, in Jesus' name, amen.